Hello and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo and I am so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. Our title, To The Heights, is a translation of the quote, Verso Le Alto, by Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, a 24-year-old Catholic on his way to canonization because he glorified God in his daily life as a student, as a lover of mountain climbing, and in his caring for the poor. His quote, To the Heights, is a prayer and reminder to keep on reaching for God and for sainthood in our ordinary daily lives. Today's guests are some people who I've met in my daily life over this past year at Boston College, and they are certainly reaching to the heights. Our guests for this episode are several of the members of The Torch, Boston College's Catholic newspaper. I've had the absolute blast of being on the staff of The Torch this past year, writing about local Catholic events, reporting on Catholic happenings on campus, or interviewing people who are making change, just like in this podcast. Like I explained a few episodes ago to Sister Bethany, this podcast was actually born out of my experience writing for The Torch, and how I was meeting and interviewing so many inspirational people who I wished I could share their voices and have conversations about their lives and how they live out the faith. So, we're going back to the root of the podcast today, and as I have served as the campus news editor this past semester, I'm going to be chatting with some of my fellow editors including the World News Editor, Patrick Stallwood, Editor-in-Chief, Adriana Watkins, and our previous Editor-in-Chief, George Evangeli. These three, and the rest of the Torch editors and staff, have been a huge source of joy during my time at BC so far. Whether it's learning more about the intellectual side of our faith, or just laughing about new ecclesiastical Latin terms late at night at editing sessions. All right, without further ado, here's an inside look at what publishing a college Catholic newspaper looks like, how it works, what we've learned from Catholic journalism, and what our lives as Catholic college students look like as we try to live the faith on campus. I hope you enjoy the conversation, all of its humor and inspiration, and get to see a glimpse of the lives of these Torch members and their stories of reaching to the heights. All right, we're in the Catholic TV studio here in Watertown, and I have three very awesome people sitting here with me today. Um, would you guys like to each introduce yourself? Um, maybe your name, what year you are, and, well, first of all, no, I guess I already did introduce, but you guys are the, part of the Torch staff, which is Boston College's Catholic newspaper, which I joined this past year and have had a blast writing for. Um, so I have a selection of editors here just to have a casual chat about Catholic journalism, and especially what life as a college student um, on a college campus like BC is all about. So would you each like to say your name so we can get your, your voice and name connected um, and what year you are? Uh, cool, yeah. I'm Patrick Stallwood. I'm a sophomore. I'm Adriana Watkins. I'm a junior. I'm George Evangelia, and I've uh, been a grad student for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a long while. <laughs> no one remembers quite how many yeah. years. <laughs> He's just a professional student at this there point. He was a legend that he went to school. <laughs> yes, and never left. No, no. And you're staying for longer now, right? Yeah, so the plan is to uh, to go for another degree. I'll be graduating this May. And how many degrees will that be? Uh, I'd like to not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know the answer to that question. I'm curious but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> all right so patrick is our world news editor i'm the campus news editor adriana is currently our editor-in-chief and george was our editor-in-chief how long were you did you ever have a position before editor-in-chief yes okay. yeah so i actually came in at the very beginning of the paper and then sort of um i did uh, world news editor for about two years if i remember correctly and then the intention was to move more sort of in a mentoring position sort of help out um, editors as they came through, but then last year there was a need for someone to step in as editor-in-chief, sort of the, the senior class is very small and there's not that many people who were experienced, so I took over as editor-in-chief for that year, and now I'm back to uh, working in the shadows, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Slowly looming whenever we have a tech problem and we need to call him at 2 a.m. I called you three times in five minutes at about 2 o'clock in the morning last week, so. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What did we call you the other day? Editor at large. (laughs) Yeah. So so there's been one other person who sort of was editor-in-chief and then completed their term and didn't graduate. Um, And he took on the title of editor-in-chief emeritus, Ah. um, which was right around the time, actually, that Pope Benedict... uh, How topical. uh, ...advocated. So... (laughs) It seemed, you know, if I had to guess, I would guess that that's where he got his inspiration. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know that I like that title as much. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out what I call myself. And, okay. Uh, Aren't we all? Just <laughs> <laughs> You're just George. <laughs> just George. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the one we call it 2A. Um, all right. I guess a logical place to start off and kind of introducing ourselves would be... Um, and this answer will be different for the undergrads versus the professional student. Um, <laughs> how did you end up at BC? And then beyond that, how did you end up writing for The Torch? How did how do we end up at this spot? Yeah, so I kind of, um, I'm from Tampa, Florida, just a little background. Uh, my dad went to Boston College, so it's kind of like always been, you know, around my family. Um, my dad would always talk about uh, how great of an experience he had there. And I was really looking for a Catholic school. Um, I really wanted to kind of pursue a theology degree. And as I was looking um, and touring Boston College, it really kind of like jumped out at me. I remember knowing I wanted to go to Boston College because when they said like what kind of SAT scores you needed to come, I was like, oh, crap. Like I was genuinely concerned. Like for Georgetown, I was like, eh, whatever. If I don't get in, whatever. But for BC, I was like, I got to try for this school. Um, So yeah, I just really loved the at least like the Catholic vibe I was getting from it and uh, the potential for a good theology degree. And I kind of joined the torch uh, during the second semester of freshman year, mostly because a lot of my friends are in it. Like all of them um, <laughs> are in the torch and they would talk about just how much fun they would have at late night editing sessions. And I, I read some articles. I read the paper. It was really good. And uh, there's a need for someone to talk about the movie Lady Bird. And I saw it. And <laughs> I, I, loved, that. <laughs> I loved that movie. And I was like, this is my chance. And uh, that was my big break. <laughs> <laughs> um, my story is not very inspiring. I didn't know like anything about BC. <laughs> I was advised to apply to it. And it was probably that far down on my list, maybe like sixth or seventh on my list out of like the 12 schools I applied to. And through the process of getting, you know, waitlisted or rejected from the schools that I was most heavily considering, I kind of narrowed it down to two. Um, I had visited BC for about 15 minutes. My mom and I ditched the tour and got Mexican food, uh, like halfway through because I didn't think I would ever be back here. Um, and uh, so when I was coming down to college decision time, I had the funds to visit one of the two schools that I was considering, um, one of which I hadn't been to before. So I went to that one, really didn't like it and thought, well, I hope BC is better because that's where I'm going. So I committed there. I got here. I didn't know anything about the campus. I didn't know that there was a lower half of the campus. So I was walking around and they're like, oh, rotations on the lower half. And I was like, what on earth are you talking about? Um, so that's how I got here, but I've loved every minute of it. It's, it's been really wonderful. I don't think that I honestly could have, even looking back at the list of places I applied to, I don't think that I could have ended up at a better place. Um, and I didn't have very high expectations for how Catholic BC was going to be, but I've been like pleasantly surprised, honestly, by how um, present that is on campus. And then the torch, um, I, I knew I wanted to get into a newspaper because I've always loved to write. I'm an English major, and I never had any journalism experience or an opportunity to write for a paper uh, so I knew that there would be a few at BC that I wanted to try out. So I actually scheduled three. I was going to go to three interest meetings with one of my first weeks at school. And I went to one, did not like it. Um, the second one I went to was the torch. And then I didn't even go to the third one because once <laughs> I got to the, the torch one, uh, I realized that this was, I really wasn't going to find a better community than that because it was um, really a small, um, tight-knit, uh, vibrant Catholic community where I didn't have to um, ever worry about being caught between being a writer and being a Catholic. I knew that I would never be forced to separate those two if I wrote for the torch. So um, I didn't even bother with the other newspapers. I just said, this is my place and I'm sticking here. So that's where I've been. Nice. So um, <laughs> this is how long ago I was in high school. So uh, when I was in high school, we ha- I went to Catholic high school, and we had a fair with different colleges sort of presenting themselves. And I didn't know much, actually. I didn't know where I wanted to apply and stuff like that. So there was a representative there from Boston College. And, you know, I was talking to him, I was like, eh, I don't know, you know, BC sounds interesting, and he goes, look, we don't require an essay, right? <laughs> this is how long ago it was. Wait, they require an essay for me? Oh, okay. For Boston College? Well, I thought it was changed, like, two years after I, I, I got in. No, I had to write an essay, I remember this vividly. Oh, you did have to read yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, but oh, two years after I got in. Oh, uh, they didn't, the oh, never mind. Oh. So, this was back in 09, I think. Oh, wow. Um, 
I was eight. Seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so he goes, hey, just apply, you know, and then we'll go from there. And at that time, sort of, I had a very definite plan of what I wanted to do, right? I was going to go to college, I was going to study classics, and then I was going to go to law school, um, which is funny now. Yes. Um, but anyway, so, you know, eventually I, I was admitted to BC. I met with the classics department fell in love with it, you know, said, all right, this is the place for me to be, fell in love with the campus. Um, and so then, uh, my sophomore year, I met one Peter Kraft, oh, yeah. uh, who I'm sure people would be familiar with. Yeah. And I, it, it, just by chance, I sort of took his, um, his philosophy core class, and then that sort of forever changed my life. I, uh, I decided to study philosophy and then sort of eventually theology, um, which is what I'm doing now. But uh, my senior year, right, um, I'm Eastern Orthodox, so I was at that year the president for the Orthodox Fellowship. And in the table next to us was this new organization called The Torch. I was like, huh, I never heard about it. You know, what are you guys? Who has? Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and they're like, oh, well, we're a new organization. We're a Catholic newspaper. I said, oh, that's really interesting. And it, it just so happened that one of, my, one of my close friends was the founder of the paper. So I said, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I put my name down on the list. And, hey, maybe I'll write an article or something. You know, it'd be <laughs> interesting to sort of talk about humanism, East-West issues. And so I was like, all right, yeah, sounds good. I, I completely intended it to be a one-time thing. But so I went to the interest meeting, wrote this article. Um, and then Chris, my friend, was like, hey, so would you mind, uh, you know, sort of editing the world news section? Um, just casually. And I said, yeah, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know how, but, you know, we, it was just, just so very nascent. I said, yeah, you know, I'll give that a try. And uh, what is it now, five, six years later? Here we are. Oh, yes. Yeah. You have to be careful you commit to it, this paper because we will rope you into so much more than you bargained <laughs> no, for. No, honestly, like at the, at the first meeting, like if you go to like the interest meeting, they'll be like, all right, so you're writing about this and you're writing about that. And like people haven't joined the paper yet. And we just give them assignments. Yeah. 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 I think I walked out of the first meeting. I had to leave for something, but I already had like an article. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think I might've even had two articles that first. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then fast forward like four months. I got the, would you like to be an editor text? I was like, okay, yes, I would love to. Yeah. I guess my next question, and this probably also is for you, George. Um, how did the paper start? And um, I know Adriana, we were talking about this at a few meetings ago. What's kind of the mission of the paper? So how did it start and what's the mission? Mm-hmm. You can tag team that if you would yeah, like to. Yeah, so in terms of history, right, um, there was a definite lack. Of, of a Catholic voice at BC among the students. Um, and so there was a newspaper that had a Catholic section uh, previously, but it was generally sort of incendiary and it was not well liked by the students. And at a certain point, people decided, you know, this is serving no one, right? This is, this is simply causing upheaval. So that was ended, and a lot of those people said, look, let us get together, right? And, and create a space which is simply devoted to the to the Catholic message, to the gospel, and have 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 it present sort of the the faithful Catholic perspective onto you know in, in in a fresh way onto the college setting. So that's that's where the torch came from. There's sort of that perspective of let us specifically focus on Catholic issues. Let us specifically focus on the church. Yeah, and it's important to have that perspective on campus, I think, because college is a time when so many people are trying to decide and figure out what they believe for themselves. And I think if you don't have enough diversity of voices, it's really easy to kind of get roped into somewhere that you don't want to go and and get herded into sort of a popular opinion that you aren't really sure is your own. So like having a a good diversity of voices, including a a strong religious voice, is I think something um, students don't often talk about the, that they're looking for, but um, that they are looking for um, as they like search for the truth um, and sort of seek to establish themselves um, on their own apart from, you know, their families and their, uh. so yeah, I think it's, it's really, really important to have that sort of voice on campus and um, just to provide good and honest reporting um, 
from a perspective that a lot of people don't hear about. We talk about persecutions in the church um, throughout mm-hmm. the world, and uh, we talk about goings on in the in this country in the Catholic Church. Just yeah. sort of trying to be straight as straightforward as possible and give people the facts to let them decide for themselves, but to, just to give them the facts that a lot of people refuse to give them in the first place. Um, and it's um, I think just really good to have that. I think people are looking for that, with, even if they don't say it. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's as if you guys saw a need and then, like, (laughs) let's make a paper to address that need. And, I don't know, I've had so many cool opportunities, like, reporting on the CHRISM mass. Like, most people don't really know what the CHRISM mass is or, I I guess, the entirety of C101, which is our Catholicism 101 section, Um, like, putting out that strong religious voice and, like, Catholic fun facts and such. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people were lucky enough to go to Catholic schools. I went to one for two years. But um, a lot of people who are cradle Catholics even, um, you know, they get CCD up to, you know, if they're confirmed to the 7th or 8th grade. But after that, you know, they don't really have any opportunities for religious education. So there's so many things about their own tradition that they just aren't familiar with and that they want to be familiar with. If you tell them about these things, people are very interested. It's just that they haven't really had the opportunity to kind of lean into that identity as much as they've wanted. And so um, things like uh, Catholicism 101 section, which you reported on for – or that that may have been a different section, but – Things like the Chrism <laughs> yeah. Mass and, um, and explaining all these different traditions of the church really help people to become familiar with a tradition either they're born into or that they're thinking about joining as they discover their own faith. True. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that specifically sort of in the 20th century and beyond, we've really seen a gap in catechesis, right? Mm-hmm. People simply don't know about their faith. And especially when it comes to something like the torch, right? It's not a priest standing up on the yeah. pulpit preaching, right? It's able to be presented, right? The, the, the truths of the Catholic faith or the Christian faith uh, are able to be presented in a way that's sort of doesn't come off as quote-unquote threatening. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's not coming from an authority. It's simply just what your peers believe, right? And so in, in, in many ways, right, it's, the torch is trying to capture what the new evangelization is supposed to be, which is to say the old evangelization just in a new key. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that that's the reason why I, I stayed, I stuck around, obviously. And, and you know, what why I think the Torch is such a unique organization in many ways. Yeah, especially in a time when um, I've heard a lot of people toss the word um, outdated around when they talk about mm-hmm. the church and its traditions. But honestly, if you can hear uh, people who you go to class with and people you live with and people you know talking about these sorts of things, and it doesn't seem like a crazy thing that a lot of like old people or, you know, like mm-hmm. in a room, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like uh, you realize that this is like a living tradition. This, these are things that people you know and people who you know are reasonable believe and, and, um, and really love a tradition that people love. So I think that that's good. True. Yeah. There have been so many articles that I've been so surprised to have classmates who I wouldn't necessarily, like, stereotype as, like, the Catholic classmate come up to me and be like, I read that. But, like, they wouldn't have necessarily, like, I don't know, read it if some others, if a priest or someone mm-hmm. older did. Um, yeah. So it's nice to be able to, like, I don't know, Father Bergen always reads my um, – he was one of my professors last semester, and he always reads my articles and reports back. Um, but, like, at the same time, I have kids on my floor um, who, like – come to Sunday Mass occasionally, um, and they will read, like, the Bishop of the Moon article. <laughs> that was that's a popular one. We love that one. <laughs> that would be my favorite article I've ever written. <laughs> but, yeah. We mentioned a little bit the different sections of the torch, and I thought it would be an interesting conversation. There aren't many opportunities for anyone to kind of sit down and listen in on how a college newspaper or any newspaper actually functions. So I thought it would be interesting to discuss what the timeline of, like, actually producing an issue looks like. <laughs> Patrick just gave me an encourage this look asking me if we do indeed have a timeline, and we do. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so we, uh, I mean, the uh, Patrick and George can speak a lot more about uh, this, but uh, we do have our individual sections, so World News, Campus News, Catholicism 101, Faith Features, and Culture, um, and sometimes faculty columns, but we meet uh, every Tuesday, um, one Tuesday a month is our fun Tuesday because we realize you don't actually need four meetings a month to accomplish what we need to accomplish because most of the time we're waiting for people to write their stuff. So we just have a fun Tuesday where we hang out and play board games or whatever. Yes. Um, and so uh, we meet on Tuesdays. The first week of the month, we kind of assign articles. The editors, um, like Patrick, you can talk about how you come up with uh, ideas for like world news and they, they just ideas. Writers come with some of their own ideas that they've been excited about. And uh, we assign articles to everybody. And then uh, we kind of check in with them the next couple of weeks, make sure they're writing them. Um, if somebody's writing about an, an ongoing event, that article might be due a little sooner so we can keep up with the pace of the news. Um, and then at the end of the month, we have a couple of editing sessions where we get everybody together and we print out the articles and we just go at it with a red pen 
you know, um, and make all these corrections. We have two rounds of that. It's pretty intensive. And then the last Tuesday of the month, we have a very, very long editing session. Oh, yes. in our final tiny editing. I, oh, final editing. Patrick was there. We were there for like seven hours oh, yeah. uh, Tuesday night into the early hours of Wednesday morning. I'm still recovering from that. That was a week ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, we finally we put the finishing touches. We work on the layout. Um, we panic a little bit or a lot over <laughs> oh, random yes. minor issues that come up at, at the last minute. Uh, and then we send it off to the printer. And the next morning, uh, magically, it is delivered to uh, the hallway in front of our office in a thousand crisp copies so yeah. yeah then it is not so magically delivered by us yes to all of the campus <laughs> yeah. where we have to go from like high and low to make sure everyone gets it yes um as far as the world news section goes um the timeline's a little bit more unique with world news because articles have different deadlines depending on how um depending on how the news is so for instance like we'll go into a month wanting to cover a story that happened at the end of last month and that needs to be done like within a week um, because we try, we're not like breaking news, but we try to keep it current, try to keep it uh, relevant. And I would say that more like the world's news section provides more of a, a thorough overview of an event and how people have responded to it. More so, less of like, this happened and like, boom, but more like this happened, here's the response to it. And here's some, like, here's what you, like, take it and think about it uh, in this moment, you know? Um, yeah. Like a summary. Kind of. So. It's more of, it's definitely more of a summary. And we I think we had like, you know, like four a month or something like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, whenever something emerges, uh, usually I always am refreshing Apple News. <laughs> and my, app, my Apple News feed has like extra little Catholic topic sections nice. on it. So I have like Pope Francis, Roman Catholicism, like Rome, like all these different like yeah. random subheadings that come up because... I'm constantly looking at that to see if there's something important. And, you know, kind of one of the things we've been thinking about more this year with news, it, it's really seemed like a disadvantage to us in the past. We publish once a month, right? So we're not CNN. We're not breaking um, news stories or anything like that. Um, George is laughing. We're definitely not CNN. Um, and um, so it kind of seemed like a disadvantage to only be able to publish once a month when all like things are happening so quickly in the world. But to be honest, it, it's actually kind of nice to be able to step back and have that leeway because we aren't under the pressure of like writing these as quickly as possible sometimes at the expense of facts and, uh, and accuracy yeah. um, so we can kind of take that extra time to compile viewpoints and you know this is what this person thinks this is what has happened since then um, you know a lot of times the news will pick up a story and then drop it you know once the event itself is over what has been the impact of that and we can kind of talk a little bit more about those sorts of things and their broader context since we have a, a bit of uh, wiggle room there so that's yeah. kind of an advantage for us yeah and I think specifically right the question is what is the Catholic perspective on this mm-hmm. right so you know, we're not, the torch is not going to be featured on Apple News anytime soon. I don't yeah, think. definitely. <laughs> I, I think that the idea behind it, right, is that if you're a busy college student, what are the four stories that happened over this last month yeah. that you should keep in mind? Sort of, what are the big events? What is the church's response? Yeah. Why does this make a difference to you? In your current context. I particularly kind of like to take it outside of the U.S. because I feel like definitely like on BC, everyone is definitely immersed in the U.S. news culture. Um, so definitely I'll, we'll obviously pick up one or two news stories in the United States, but I definitely want to try to broaden the horizons because one thing with, you know, kind of a symptom of American news is that it's definitely more American-centric than yeah. other news outlets. And so we've been doing um, even, I think you've had a couple people write pers- broad perspectives on different, the crisis yeah. in different countries, like um, Venezuela, Venezuela, Haiti. Haiti. We had these like more broad um, perspective pieces that covered, like you see these like flash flash instances that happened, like the riots in Venezuela and the riots mm-hmm. in Haiti. And um, these articles are kind of more of like, well, how did we get to this moment? And how has the church responded in those leading moments to this huge incident that you hear about on CNN? We kind of provide more context. Yeah, and even just a reminder, like, uh, you know, things were horrible in Haiti when that earthquake happened. I think it was 2010, right? Yeah. Um, But things are still horrible in Haiti. (laughs) And and just because the nature of the news cycle, it's not going to get reported on very much because, you know, instantaneous events like that aren't continuing. don't keep happening, but um, it's important to remember that things are still going on, you know, there and in Venezuela, this isn't going on for a long time. It's probably going to go on for a while longer. So it's important to sort of give that um, broader perspective to people reading the news. It's like the, the things that matter aren't all major singular events, but like ongoing crises. And you, um, those are the really some of the opportunities that you have to help people too, are for these people who are in these sustained situations of need. Yeah, true. 
and also help people reading the news. Like you said, like we get little flashes of news, but to have it all in one place, like I'm thinking of your, I know this is America and defeats the whole point of this, <laughs> but um, your pro-life legislation article, yeah. Patrick, that you wrote last month, like it took all of, I don't know, there's been so much happening in the past month. Yeah, this month was like, well, not this month, the previous, previous month, month. Um, was like an explosion of pro-life legislation between like heartbeat bills in like three different states and yes. different trigger bills being proposed and everything having its own context reasoning and conflict associated with each bill. Um, and also some like pro-choice legislation that's been coming out too to co- counteract that. Yeah. And yeah, that's just all happened with the turn of the Supreme Court kind of thing. And that article was definitely like a response to me being absolutely overwhelmed mm-hmm. by Apple News showing like Georgia heartbeat bill, Texas heartbeat, Texas heartbeat bill, like all these different yeah. things. I'm like, whoa, how big is this? Yeah. And whereas you would have to go to all those different articles to find, to research that, you know, we can kind of, because we have the time, compile it into one place and sort of let a person who reads us be able to be sort of educated more deeply on one subject. True. Yeah. Kind of get a a bigger picture, taking a Mm -hmm. step back. Um, I was even also thinking about how um, David wrote the article. David is our what do we call him? Web editor? Uh, he keeps changing his titles. <laughs> I'm not sure what he is now. And a uh, manager of social media or something like that. Social media. He has the password to our Facebook account. I don't know yeah. if that's the title. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to work the website. And he does a wonderful job. He's going to listen to this and be angry. You do a good job, David. Yes. Yeah, he's on retreat right now. We, we hope you are studying and have a good retreat. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, he wrote the Notre Dame Cathedral Fire mm-hmm. article. But even though the staff was all together when we were watching that break, he didn't write it, and it wasn't up until, I don't know, several weeks after. But also at the same time, I was reporting on the opening of the cathedral um, in Boston, and I went to the press briefing afterwards with the cardinal, and all the secular news sources were there asking questions about the cardinal statements on the Notre Dame mm-hmm. fire. Um, so we were able to kind of crossover a little bit, and mm-hmm. like he was able to use Cardinal Sean's interview from that. I used part of it in my article but since it was a little while later and i don't know the christmas mass was a little bit after the fire yeah um but we were able to i don't know get other people's statements and input on it which was nice yeah good benefit of not not breaking news but rather reflecting on it yes yeah for sure i think my next question and i mentioned the bishop of the moon and the christmas mass <laughs> which are probably two of my favorite articles and i don't think the christmas mass is my favorite article i think it was my favorite experience because i felt so like official being in that circle of reporters where they're all like shoving the microphones in Cardinal Sean's face and we only had like five minutes to ask questions and you were blinded by cameras flashing. Um, But I did want to ask you guys, what's your favorite article that maybe you've ever written or that we've ever published in general? Um, Or like an article like that, that the experience of reporting on the event has kind of Mm -hmm. touched you? Um. This is not to toot my own horn or anything, <laughs> but we have a section called uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. That was not only a really great like journalistic experience, but I also love reading all the new ones. Basically, Pilgrim's Progress highlights different like Catholic gems around Boston and to highlight places for maybe a local pilgrimage. So, you know, people who are kind of in the BC bubble, you know, yes. separated from the city, um, if they want to just, you know, take an opportunity to take a more you know, more reflective experience and kind of deepen their faith life. They can hop on the T and go somewhere. You know, it's about the journey too, reflecting on your way there. But these are very incredible Catholic places in Boston. And I love it when um, people just go and highlight like their personal experience. Um, that was definitely one really cool. I went to the Madonna Queen of the Universe Shrine, yes. which is right by the airport. Um, really cool. They were going to build a statue for Madonna Queen of the Universe a lot higher but the airplanes were like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> bad idea. Bad, very bad idea. So instead of putting her on top of a tower, she's like in front of a tower. And it's still very beautiful. It's very, it's a great place. Um, but I really felt like a journalist in that moment because I took Adriana's very expensive, very nice camera over there and was snapping pictures. And I went to a daily mass and I just loved like talking to the community. Um, they definitely noticed me like, taking a picture of every square inch of that property. <laughs> um, but that was not only that kind of, that section is something I look forward to reading every month. Um, it's also that moment when I was like, this is, 
this could be really cool, this journalism thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we should also highlight that I think, was it Christina who sent you the article that inspired that? Yes. Um, um, <laughs> my, my girlfriend, Christina, sent me an article about these places in each state for a local pilgrimage. And I looked at that and I was like, this is a really interesting thing. I wonder if I could highlight more about Boston. So it is still technically my idea, yes. but it was inspired, inspired by Christina. Who's sitting in the corner. Who's sitting over there rolling her eyes at me. Um, I think my uh, favorite article, it was not my favorite article to write. Uh, I will never admit that I had fun doing this because people might maybe do it again. Um, but I last fall uh, was asked to write a culture article, or maybe I volunteered. I don't remember. This I think I... Oh, yes, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. That's where I thought it was. So oh I think that I brought it up as in someone else should write it who wasn't me, and then it ended up being my article anyway. You propose it, you compose it. Yeah, you propose it, you compose it. Um, I suggest we write on Look What You Made Me Do, which had just come out at the time. The music video was all the rage. Uh, I did not like the song, and I did not intend to write on it, and then it became my article. And I listened to it a million times. I actually forced myself. I listened to it on repeat, and I wouldn't let myself turn it off until I had finished writing the article, which was a great motivator because I really wanted to stop listening to it. So I wrote really fast. And, um, yeah, so that kind of became a running joke that, like, I yeah, anyway, I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed the way the article turned out, but it was a very painful one to yes. write. It was like, this is the worst research I've ever done for just, just listen to this song over and over again. It's not even really music. Um, you, were but, writing that bu- you were writing that before I joined the torch, and I remember, like, catching you on campus being like, hey, how are you doing? And you just had a look of, like, defeat on your <laughs> eyes of, like, oh, Taylor Swift, look what you made me do. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. I should excuse um, myself. Yeah. That was my favorite article, but um, favorite experience, I think, was the uh, Christmas of my sophomore year. I got really bored, as one does over Christmas break, and uh, I was looking around on the Word on Fire website. It's uh, Mm -hmm. Bishop Robert Barron's website. It's like this little button for, like, interview requests for press and stuff, and I said... Wouldn't that be crazy? I'm, I have nothing to do. So I wrote a, an interview proposal for him, just a request saying, uh, you know, we're Catholic college newspaper and we would like to interview about, I just made up a topic. I said, religion, religion and skepticism on campus. How do those interact? I thought that was interesting. I submitted it. I thought nothing will ever happen with this and I forgot that I did it. And then I went back <laughs> to school. And then uh, like three or four weeks later, I was in the elevator going up to my apartment on the 14th floor. Very slow elevator ride that stopped at like every floor. And um, I, I looked at my email and I had this email from a member of Bishop Barron's staff that said like, hey, the bishop has seen your request and would like to do the interview with you. And I was like hopping up and down the elevator with like a million people around me. I like could not wait to get off. As soon as I got off, I was calling people on the staff and saying like, oh my gosh, we got the interview. I texted George. I said, George, do you know who wants to talk with us? And I was so excited. And um, it was just so interesting because uh, like I had admired him in high school. I think all of us really like Bishop yes. Barron. And yeah. um, it was just so weird to like know that I was going to be on the phone talking to him in like a month. Uh, it was crazy. And yeah, no, I was just smiling ear to ear. It was the best afternoon. So I think that that was my, my favorite journalistic experience because it was so random and out of the blue. I never expected that that would work out. Um, it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite article um, is actually not one that I wrote. Um, so it was it be a couple years ago now. Um, so Annalise was a, a former member of our staff and she was Episcopalian and sort of, she wrote for us for four years, right? And there, there were times when there were theological differences, you know, specifically between me and her, um, you know, me being Eastern Orthodox yeah. and her being Episcopalian, but more generally sort of in, this, in the staff. And it just so ended up that I was editor-in-chief that year, and she was the executive editor, which was sort of the second in charge, right? And it was, it was sort of very interesting that uh, yeah, we were friends, but, you know, it was sort of four years of theological difference and her last article... Oh, uh, that was a good one. Yeah. Her, her last article was sort of in gratitude for healthy debate mm-hmm. and, and talking about sort of how, how much her life was impacted by being able to be on the torch and be able to discuss really tough issues very respectfully, right? And to be able to sort of have that healthy discussion and debate, which was ultimately what, what I would hope the torch would be. So it's very helpful to have sort of someone on the inside say that, hey, you know, I stepped into an environment that was not particularly comfortable, and and it worked out really well. So I was really, really happy for that, actually. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it sort of made me, it sort of, it, it confirmed that a lot of the work that a lot of people have been doing on the torch does, does have its dividends, even if, you know, we only see it every so often. But... 
the one, <laughs> the article that I most in, enjoyed writing was, uh, this was the first year of the Torch. Um, the, the, the section editor asked me to write a 750-word article on the incarnation. Uh-oh. Okay. There you go, 750 yeah. words max. Go to it. <laughs> and so it was like, great, you know, how many of the fathers of the church and the great theologians have written pages and pages and pages on this? And, you know, w- would very would be very willing to admit that they haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> and uh, I got to do it in 750 words, but it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun sort of trying to distill um, all that to a very short article. Um, and But it was definitely very challenging, sort of, on the face of it for me. But, you know, it's from challenge that we develop. Yeah, True. and I will say that most people do tend to write over and not under. Um, people are very excited usually about the topics that they get. Sometimes so excited oh that it keeps me up late at night trying to cut down their excitement oh to a manageable goodness. size. But, yes, no, we're really grateful for that. So yeah. that's at David's 1,300-word article on the March for Life. I will never oh get over that. Um, David, yes. we still love you. Yes, <laughs> we do. Just write that. Just I did not. Just David while he's away. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the book that you mentioned on the way here, the the children's book, No David. Yeah. Yes. My life. <laughs> Our life. We do love you. <laughs> Can you guys guess what my favorite article is that you've is written? It, yes. Is Bishop, it of the Moon. Bishop of the Moon. Yes. <laughs> that was one of your first ones too. That was October, wasn't it? That was like the I think second so. issue. Yeah. Yeah. That was when was it Mars Rover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was on the in Mars response Rover. to the Mars Rover. I feel like it might have been December-ish, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. November, December. Yeah. 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 Because I remember doing a praise and worship like adoration and Ethan who's I think he was under culture and yes, he's, he's a culture, culture editor. Yeah. Um I think yeah, it wasn't news. It was culture. Yeah. Maybe. It was definitely mm-hmm. culture. Uh, yeah. Okay. That is not news. <laughs> well, I mean the Mars thing was news. But he came running over to me because something new had happened with the Mars something. I don't know. But he came running over like after adoration and was like, look, look at this Mars thing. Put that in your article. <laughs> I don't know. But I tied in like the, what a Mars rover landing. You basically tied in like if so we know we have some reasonable theory on who would be the bishop of the moon. Well, we know he, he has is the bishop of the moon. There, this isn't a theory. <laughs> this is real. It's confirmed. Yeah. Confirmed bishop of the moon. Bishop of Orlando is the bishop of the moon because the place that you lead an expedition from in exploring new territory, that bishop retains like control over the land that is yeah. whatever yeah. so the, on, the only person for whom pope would probably be a demotion like if you went from like being <laughs> yes. bishop of the moon to being yeah. bishop of the universal church you'd be like ah yeah. i'll stay with the moon yeah. like, <laughs> i have two celestial objects instead yeah. of one <laughs> like i'm being demoted to one planet like this is yeah. horrible <laughs> yeah yep all right so maybe so i wanted to talk about all the newspaper stuff but i also did want to talk about living faith on campus because Mm -hmm. i have a room full of college students here (laughs) and i thought that that would be an applicable conversation um so i guess wherever we want to go with that so we have had i think last episode i had tommy and steve on from catholic tv show repent and submit and he also um steve the missionary went to a jesuit school and we had some jesuit school um conversations but we reached the common ground that um i don't know there are catholic communities you just it's how much you put into it um that you find it and i think we've all found the catholic community at bc for sure um maybe if we want to talk about what catholic groups and communities we found on campus um and how we got there from the perspective of like if college students who haven't found that yet or high schoolers i know there's a couple of high schoolers um i had sarah on who are um, looking for those communities once they get to college. Yeah. So what groups are you a part of? Um, well, for, yeah, definitely like for Boston College, you have to really kind of actively seek that Catholic community. But, you know, the more you seek it, the more people you find. And so it's, true. It's so welcoming. Um, I'm a part of a few. I'm part of um, the Torch, obviously. Um, the St. Thomas More Society, Adriana will be able to speak more about that. <laughs> yes. um, that brought most of my friends together. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, more of my experience, I've had a, um, there's this club called the Christian Life Community at uh, CLC, that's at uh, Boston College, and it's not like strictly Catholic, it's definitely ecumenical, it's Catholic and Protestant, um, but that had that small group community that I really was yearning for, coming from a very strong youth group background, back at home I was definitely in, into life teen, um, and so coming to BC I was looking for that, and CLC had a very welcoming group of just people who are open to having intentional 
small group conversations um, and hopefully trying to build that into a bigger Christian community. And, you know, that's definitely taught me to kind of, you know, look outside of my Catholic sphere and see how um, some Protestants engage spiritually. And that's really been able to help me. Um, but definitely coming to Boston College from the life teen background has been a very interesting contrast because BC definitely, uh, at least the Catholic community, is a lot more traditional, I find it. And it's been very fruitful to be able to kind of go out of my comfort zone a little bit and learn more about those traditions and find a weird way to like mix the two together. And they really go better a lot. Uh, they really go together a lot better than I thought they would, you know. Um, and so far, you know, it's, it's still a journey, but um, it's been really fruitful. Yeah. Um, so I made the, I really did not do this without help. I made the decision to take a philosophy class with a Jesuit priest my freshman year, six credits, um, both semesters. And he introduced me like as soon as I was on campus to all the different Catholic groups. I realized about halfway through my first semester that almost all the friends I had were introduced to me by this one priest um, who's responsible for my entire social life. So that was cool. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he introduced me to the St. Thomas More Society. Um, which I became leader of at the end of my freshman year. The, the key really is to join groups that don't have anyone to lead them. And then that's how you, <laughs> that's how you move up in the world. That um, <laughs> uh, so that's kind of a, um, well, it was a very small group. It's been around for 35 years and gone through different stages of growth. And, um, you know, it really depends on the students who are at the school and what, um, how much money there is for it. Um, it's pretty small my freshman year. And then uh, the last couple of years, it's really been booming. I'm, I'm no longer the leader of that officially. Um, I stepped down this semester to, to be the editor of The Torch. But um, for a few semesters, I was a leader of that. And it's really, um, what I like about it is it's a very casual group. We have pizza on Monday nights, and a speaker comes, uh, usually a BC faculty member from philosophy or theology, to sort of give a talk on, um, I don't know, just practical matters in faith, um, some sort of subject that he or she thinks would be of in, uh, interest to the, a college student. And um, I really like it. There's space for students to ask questions. Um, it's not a class. It's out in a sort of an open area in one of the buildings. Um, it's where I met most of my friends, to be honest, um, and just where I got to know more about my faith and um, really felt like I had a space of people who would support me, even though uh, Thomas More is a great mix of people who are Catholic and not Catholic, who are at different stages in their um, faith journeys. But it was really good to know that there was just a group of intellectually and um, spiritually curious people on campus. So that, that was a big part of it. The torch was a big part of it, of course. Um, and then there even, um, but yeah, I think what you said, um, Patrick, about having to look for it is true because there is a Catholic women's group on campus. It's not an official group. You wouldn't find it on a list anywhere, but um, you just knowing the right people, you know, you find, you just talk to people, talk to them about what they do on campus um, and you'll figure out that these groups exist. There's a great women's group. Um, there's a, a kind of an underground volunteer group that my, my roommate now leads. Um, it's run out of our dorm room and we uh, go and volunteer um, to give food and uh, clothing to homeless people in Boston. But I would never know that exists because, again, it's not an official club. So sure. it's, it's really about um, talking to people and um, who you know. I mean, a few people who you know are um, really serious about their faith and they'll lead you to the right places. Um, yeah. If you don't find a group, make one. Is yes, basically yeah. what we're also telling. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, the adoration group. Oh yes. that's been on that's the rise. So true. Yeah. yeah, there will always there will be a demand. I think there will always be more of a demand than you think for these sorts of things. Um, people will come out of the woodworks to to participate in stuff like this. Yeah, that's so true. Just this morning, we were practicing for praise and worship adoration, which is something that's new, like mm -hmm. this past year, because there was more of a desire for adoration on campus. And like, we were talking about like, oh, we need more monstrances. Like, we have more of a desire for adoration than we do like Lunas and monstrances to hold Jesus. Yeah. So, and it's, it's it's also just about I think so you just have to have faith when you go into college that you are not going to be the only Catholic there even if it seems like you're the only Catholic there tell yourself I'm not the only Catholic yes. here and with that mindset I think you'll be able to find more people because if you're serious about uh, pursuing your faith you know you go to mass and you can and um you'll find people people will notice that um, who are also looking for community true yeah and the masses for sure like yes. I met so many people through the mm -hmm. high term mass because I don't know and I no longer go to the high term mass but that's where I like. Stop it, George. I love the Heights Room <laughs> No, I remember my roommate, Gabby, bringing you home yes. from Heights Room Mass. That's how I met you. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, For Gabby context, the Heights Room Mass is a little bit more contemporary, and it really does not sit well with George. It's more like a life teen mass than, say, we have everything on campus. We have, but it is mass. Yeah. It is mass. Yes, and, that's and there are solid priests. Yes, that's it. Like, Father Brian Dunkel says that mass, and I... Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. We were not going to talk about this because we will divide the room in two. So we're going to put on <laughs> Catholic, Catholic, Catholic groups on campus. George, yeah. so yes. what is your uh, experience? So, so my story is a little bit interesting, right? So um, 
my father's Catholic, my mother's Orthodox. I grew up sort of in both traditions um, growing up. I grew up in Albania, so, you know, we'd go to the Orthodox Cathedral for liturgy, and then we'd all sort of shuffle away from that and go to the Catholic uh, to the to the Catholic Church for Mass afterwards. So I kind of grew up with, with with double double liturgy in, in, in my formative years, which I I found I find very interesting. Apparently, that's not normal. Um, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, by the time that I got to BC, and like I said, I'd been at, at a Catholic high school, right? It seemed to me, and this is perhaps. Um, a bit of a, an insight into the times before the torch, right? It seemed to me that sort of the divisions between Catholic and Orthodox weren't really apparent in, 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 in Boston College specifically, right? Um, more often than not, and still to this day, right, I find that I have much more in common with Catholic students, you know, than, than I really have dividing us, right? So I was part of the... Um, Orthodox Fellowship on campus, um, eventually grew to lead it. And I thought that was very good and very beneficial sort of in terms of keeping up with my own tradition. But there's so few Orthodox students on BC's campus, there's not really the ability to have a fully-fledged community. Um, And like I said, it seems to me, right, especially growing up in a family where, you, you know, sort of there's family members on quote-unquote, both sides, right, um, that fostering what unites us is much, much more important than sort of focusing on the relatively few issues which are a question between Catholic and Orthodox. And so on BC's campus, I honestly felt very much at home among Catholic groups. I was sort of, before joining the torch, you know, and this that's where I really sort of went off, right, I had gone to some of the SDM lectures, um, I had met a few times. I had been to a few of the meetings of the men's group um, on campus, but it was sort of still meandering. Right? I was very much friends with with a lot of uh, what we'd call the Catholic community at BC, but it wasn't it wasn't sort of formalized. And I think it wasn't really until the torch mm-hmm. that, for me, that sort of that really melded together. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. True, very true. And I, I think you brought up you've all brought up a good point that it's the same people in a lot of those groups oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you can't the community is really formed once you've joined those groups and then kind of like i don't want to say broken away from the groups because you're still part of them in many cases but like i don't know you get to feed off that energy to do more things together that you know you can you meet these people and you think like oh we could publish a good paper together which i, I have an inkling that may have been part of what happened with uh you know people who already knew each other and then think yeah. we could do this together um and, uh, yeah, that, that tends to happen. Uh, a lot of the same people are interested in a lot of the same things, of course. And, and there are some people who are unique to different groups. But, uh, yeah. but it, it really uh, provides you with a continuous sense of community. The trick is to make sure that it, um, it doesn't appear to others to be closed off. Um, so we tr- always yes. try to welcome more people in when they want to join, of course. Um, but it, it is nice to have that sort of, um, yeah, constant sense of community. It's great. True. Yeah, very well said. I think it works both ways, right? Yeah. And that the community feeds the organizations. And the organizations feed yes. the community, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool, yeah. right? It's, you know, part of being in the community is part is, is joining these organizations, but also part of, you know, these organizations yeah. are not just something that you do. Oh, right? absolutely. Most people who write for the torch don't just sort of write once a month. And then never talk to you, yeah. <laughs> right, so. it's a much more sort of, what the torch and the, the, the other Catholic um, groups are able to offer on campus is much more of a community than that, which, yeah. is, which is really cool. You go through things together. I mean, if you aren't friends, a seven-hour editing session will tell you <laughs> if you want to be in a community with these people or not. And if the answer is no, it will be a pretty firm no by the end of that seven <laughs> hours. But uh, but uh, most of the time, by the end of you know, you're closer with the people you, you go through that with. And, um, yeah, very true. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome insight. So I think we have to wrap up in a few minutes, but I've been doing this thing at the end of every recording where we do Catholic quick questions. <laughs> so it's kind of like your Catholic favorites. Um, and every single time it doesn't end up being quick questions. It ends up being like <laughs> someone goes off on a rant at some point. So that is very welcome. I vote um, George. Nice. <laughs> Probably. And everyone turns to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But are you ready for my speed round of Catholic quick questions? Right, sure. All right, do we want to go 
in this direction? Sure. Yeah, Starting why not? With Patrick again. I'll be quick. <laughs> All right. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite book of the Bible? Uh, Psalms. Mm. That was fast. Dang it. Okay. John. Okay. All right. So from the New Testament. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Dang it. From Already. the New Testament, here's long. a dark horse. The book of the prophet Jonah. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Can't Way say I've ever time. really touched that book oh, since Adriana, scripture class. It's really, really slide. short. And <laughs> I, I highly recommend to anyone. I mean, I think it's like, what, like five pages? I don't know. You look at me like I would know how to <laughs> answer that question. I highly recommend people to read it. Wait, five is that like book. Jonah and the Whale? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So Jonah, we have read Jonah that. and the Whale? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's good. more around. Well, I would hope. That isn't the whole five pages. <laughs> okay, quick question number two. What's your favorite book in general? I'm sorry, Adriana. <laughs> a question like that for English majors, like a knife to the heart. Um, collected stories of Flannery O'Connor. Ooh, yeah, that's a good answer. Sorry, we skipped you, Patrick. That's no, that's fine. Uh, I have, I think I have like a top two. Um, one of them being Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yes, that book is hilarious. And um, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm, um, I'm working my way through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and the Fellowship has just been awesome to follow. Yeah. Well, since Patrick stole my answer. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> the Checker's Guide to the Galaxy? No, Lord of the Rings <laughs> is, is, is you know, really my favorite book. But beyond that, I'd say The Brothers Karamazov mm, is, in many ways, my second favorite. Okay. All right. Uh, next question. What's your favorite musician and or band and or artist? <laughs> oh gosh that's a very clear question I know. so hard so hard um but i think one that a lot of people can relate to is need to breathe yes um they're a really cool southern rock group um they're not like explicitly christian but they're just a bunch of guys who make cool songs and some of them just so happen to feature a little bit of jesus in them and yeah it kind of breaks the trend of like christian songs that are like jesus is great all the time let's go and you're like wow yes. all right let's take a step back um <laughs> They've been on. They've been something I've been listening to, especially as we're rolling into finals week. True, very true. They were at Seek. Matt Marr actually opened for Need to Breathe at Seek, which was a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I, I had some serious FOMO from that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'd say Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, there's like nothing more motivating to me than watching the video of, uh, of Garfunkel performing "Bridge Over Troubled Water" at the concert in Central Park in front of like a quarter of a million people. Sorry, that would like moves me to tears. Um, <laughs> it's the most inspiring thing I think I've ever seen. But yes. Oh gee, uh, my my music tastes are very eclectic. Okay. Uh, and very weird. I don't know that I have a favorite artist. All right. I think I'll pass on this one. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's either like, I've gotten Taylor Swift. I've also gotten Gregorian chant on the last last. Why episode. not? That, I, Why, I not Why not both? Oh. Why not <laughs> There's a remix Combine somewhere. Them. For God's sake. No, I hope not. No, well, there is Gregorian <laughs> trap music that does exist. I have been subjected to it more than once. I'm terrified. Yeah. Okay. These things should not be spoken of today. <laughs> no. All right. We're we're moving on. <laughs> Please. What is your favorite place that you've ever traveled? Mm. All right. Uh, Hawaii. Just got to throw that out there. Okay. Um, I used to work summers in high school at Lourdes in France because I grew up overseas. Um, now it's too expensive for me to go, obviously, but back when I could get there for like 30 bucks on a really cheap flight, I used to volunteer there during the summers, and that's my favorite place. That's so cool. That's really cool. Uh, for me, I'd have to say going to Rome. Uh, I studied abroad in Scotland uh, during my junior year, and I was able to visit Rome for a week, which was really awesome because, as I mentioned before, I'm a cla- I was a classics major in undergrad. And all of the sudden, when I was in Rome, all of this, you know, Latin and, and, and Roman culture that I'd been learning was, like, there in front of my eyes. And it's probably, probably the only place where right, it would be right. recommended yeah, by your and eyes. I was like, guys, guys, see, like, there's actual applications to this. And everyone sort of looked at me like I had two heads and sort of that was that. But nonetheless, favorite place of all time. Would love to go back. Okay. Kind of tangent off of that, what's your favorite church or cathedral that you've ever visited? Uh, I'm going to go with, um, I've been to the uh, Immaculate Conception Shrine in D.C. That's really beautiful. Um, There's, I'm just kind of going to list them off. Um, There's the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Savannah, Georgia. That looks oh, really, that one's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Yes, yes. Um, I, went, I made a Flannery O'Connor pilgrimage last summer and went to that <laughs> cathedral. It is gorgeous. It's a wonderful cathedral. That might be the one that stands out as one of the most beautiful, not only on the inside, but also it's very well painted on the outside. 
Yeah. Um, that's really, really hard, but um, I really like the Strasbourg Cathedral in Strasbourg, France, um, which is, I live not that far from there, so my family would make day trips there. It's just got this really beautiful, detailed facade, and um, it's, like, incredibly intricate, but you really can't see it or see the size of it until you turn this one corner, and it's, like, right in front of your <laughs> face, and it's just breathtaking. It's, it's beautiful. It's in terms of objectively the most beautiful, right? St. Peter's just yeah. defies explanation. I think the pictures don't do it justice, because you don't really like, recognize the scale of it. And so being able to visit there, being able to visit all the uh, all the different relics and all that stuff was really, really cool. In terms of most impactful for me, though, um, there was this tiny little church built in about the 13th century um, right outside my city where I grew up in Albania. And it stood the test of time. You know, this was during... Um, it. it it functioned as a church during the Ottoman conquest of, of Albania. And sort of, you know, it's, it's, well, it's an 800-year-old church. Um, and, and, and it feels like it sort of, it wasn't upkept as well as it could have been. But just, you know, being able to go where, in a place where Christians for what almost a thousand yeah. years have been is, is really, really powerful. It has a very yeah. special place in my heart. Wow, yeah. I, I agree I, about, like, the objective versus, because I feel like I have to say the Holy Sepulchre Church now that I've been there, but also, like, I probably have a different answer. <laughs> and, like, just those churches are so old, and, like, the fact that you can, like, see, like, the ash on the ground from, like, thousands of years of candle, candles burning and, like, the stone steps up to Calvary are, like, very divoted mm-hmm. in the middle from, like, millions of people walking up and down. Crazy. All right. Oh, we touched. I don't know if this is a good question to ask. Now, I was going to ask, "What's your favorite mass on campus?" But um, that would be I have a hot, an answer. hot topic. Hot topic. Okay, if you have a good answer, <laughs> I have a good answer. I will take the answer. I have one that I'm pretty sure a lot of people here will agree with, and that is the candlelight mass. Oh yes. Oh, that's um, there we go. It's yes. a mass that is Monday through Thursday in a tiny little chapel and it's dim and it's just it's at 10 o'clock at night and it's just a great way to close the day i just go there if i have an exam the next morning Mm -hmm. like i know that i still have to study but a small part of me is like i just i gotta spend some time with jesus to make sure this is going to be good yeah i think um i i mostly go to candlelight mass for daily mass now or uh, or saint mary's but i think my nostalgic answer has to be the noon mass at saint mary's that they have every day where they have the organ player um and just because i used to go there um Many, many times a week my freshman year. That was a mass that I could go to after my philosophy class. And it's just because the first day of classes I ended up there. I'd never been in St. Mary's before. I didn't know where it was. The building didn't look like there should be a chapel in yeah. there. And I walked in. Suddenly I was, like, taken aback by this huge, um, like, towering Gothic ceiling. It was really cool. And um, I just remember being moved to tears, like, during that mass because I was like, oh, it's actually a Catholic school. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> and, I, um, and it was just a real relief for me. And I will never forget the priest who said that mass. So I don't know him personally. And it just, like... Yeah, I, that mass will always be special to me. Yeah. So I'm going to channel my inner David here. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> here it comes. I know that there is Latin mass. Here it is. On Fridays. Um, I've never been able to go. Um, I'd, I'd love to visit at some point. But from what I understand, it is it is quite a good mass. It is. It is. It's beautiful. beautiful. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So props to David for reviving the Latin Mass Society. Right. Oh, more yeah. props. More props to David. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is no no David storybook <laughs> yeah. associated with again uh, uh, sort of like if you build it they will come sort of thing exactly. in Catholic communities. Yeah. If there's a need. Yeah. For sure. Um, ooh. All right. Last two quick questions. If you could meet any pope, living or dead, who would it be? Mm. Peter. Nice answer. <laughs> nice. Okay. Mike stole that one. No need yep. to explain. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say a Leo. There are a lot of Leos. Don't remember his number. Whichever one it was that talked to Attila the Hun at the gates of Rome, no one knows what he said that convinced the Huns to like go away and not sack Rome that one time. I would just love to, if I had to pick a moment in history, I would just love to have been there watching that and been within earshot and just heard what he said. He must have been the coolest guy ever. So Leo, whatever number he was. Maybe the third? I don't know. Okay. Random guess. Leo the first or the third? He was an early Leo. That's all I know. Okay. He was the same one who defended sort of the Christian faith at Chalcedon. What a guy. Yeah. Honestly. He's a busy man. (laughs) Honestly. Um, Yeah. I guess I'd have to say Gregory the Great. Okay. Uh, That's a good Um, pick. He's he's about a fifth century, if I remember correctly. Sixth century. 
Pope, very, very prolific um, in terms of exegesis, uh, in terms of, you know, his administration of the church. And sort of interesting connections to the East. So, would love to talk. <laughs> talk, talk to him and sort of pick his brain a little bit. Okay. All very solid answers. And definitely the most unique answers that I think we've gotten. We've gotten a lot of JP2. We've gotten a Peter. Oh, JP2 would be good. Yeah. I had a dream about JP2. I met JP2. <laughs> <laughs> I had this that I met him. It was so bad because I was waiting to meet him and he was going to say something to me. And my subconscious had one chance to give me wisdom for JP2. And all he told me to do is I should part my hair in the middle because it would look better. That's all he told me. <laughs> and then I woke up and I do part my hair in the middle. So it wasn't even legitimate advice. But anyway. <laughs> Wait, can that, can you tell us about your Linden Lane plans for oh, next year? So um, through the St. Thomas More Society, another reason to join Catholic groups on campus, I inherited uh, two cardboard cutouts of the Popes, uh, one of Benedict and one of Francis. They're um, like life-size, I think. They're waving. Uh, very cool. They're in our window. Um, so if you walk on Just peeping out there. Just peeping out there. We live in the Pope room, um, which is how I refer to our apartment um, and let people know where <laughs> I live. Uh, so next year, though, we have a very nice window overlooking Linden Lane, which is kind of the central lane of this uh, entrance to BC's campus. And uh, it's a very prominent window. And it would be really perfect if we could put Francis in there on Wednesdays, open up the window and project the papal address like through a loudspeaker <laughs> onto Linden Lane, um, which would be awesome, I think. Um, if it would anyone, be in Italian. It would be in Italian. So those lucky few who can speak Italian to find yeah. it very enlightening. But if anyone from BC's you know, residential life center is listening, I'm joking. And if no one from that center is listening, I'm not joking. I'm very serious. Um, yeah. <laughs> those Italian cardboard cutout probably a very weird hour of the day as well given yeah it's if it was in real time it had to be at like 6 a.m so that'd be fun oh students will love that <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah. yeah yep speaking of that gabby are your former and oh, future roommate yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh who's in rome studying abroad she facetimed me this morning at like a very early hour of the day oh she facetimed me too well, yeah, I didn't answer. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> it, it woke me up. I, my phone was like next to my pillow, and I was like, "Oh, Gabby, hi." So we we shall see what she wants later. Yeah. But that is that is besides the point. Um, if you could be BFFs with any one saint, who would it be? Okay, that's a tough one. I know. Um, I'm sorry. Out of the how many thousands? Yeah, um, like ten thousand. So this this might not count, and it's also kind of pandering. Because of the name of your podcast. Oh. But it's got to be Blessed uh, Pier Giorgio Versati. Mm. I mean, only because there is, like, just a picture of him with, like, a bunch of, like, dudes around him. And he's got, like, this huge smile so on his cool. face. He's like, yeah. hey, what's up? <laughs> and you want to be like, man, mm-hmm. I just want to have a beer with that guy. Yeah. And not until I'm 21. Yeah, but, I was going to uh, say. <laughs> yeah. We not condone underage drinking at the torch, so. Um, yeah. yeah. But just, like, <laughs> yeah, just, like, first of all, he likes hiking. And he just has this look of just, like, vibrant energy and just excitement to see you. And I'm like, man. Just become a saint already. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> Get to work on those miracles, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say Philip Neri. He was an Italian saint. He was big into practical jokes, which I think is really funny. He's a great guy, but he also would sometimes just, like, shave half of his beard off and, like, walk around like that because he thought it was funny or, like, prank the priest that he lived with in his rectory. And, like, he just sounds like a lot of fun, and I would love to meet this person. For me, it would have to be uh, St. Basil of Caesarea and couple of different reasons for that. One, a lot of my papers would get done a whole lot quicker. <laughs> you know, if I just be like, hey, what'd you write over there? Can you, can you, can you give us some thoughts on it? Um, but also, I think he was this fascinating figure, right, that came into the church at a very contentious time. And what he did with his best friends and St. Gregory of Nazianzus and his little brother sort of impacted the Christian church forever, right? It was really, they're, they're known as the Cappadocians, who, who sort of settled the Trinitarian controversies of the early church. And sort of no one was ever able to, to, to sort of bring up a challenge again. Um, so, I, I mean, it would just be so amazing to be like, hey, you know my best friend? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's like impacted the church forever. Like, how cool would that be? True, yeah. Yeah, I know this guy. <laughs> Very cool. 
All right, those were some awesome answers. It has been so great to have you guys on the podcast. It's been great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Any other parting last words other than read the torch? And you can find the torch at Mm thetorchbc.com, right? And on all social media. Um, Yeah. Any other parting words, last advice? Um, Probably for the listeners out there, just a very inspirational scripture verse. Uh, If you just want to take a look, it is John 21, 12. I will will let you take a look at that. A sneaking suspicion that Patrick is tricking you into something, but yeah, yeah. Yes. no, no, not tricking. Just, just, just. You know what? In the morning, uh, when you wake up, just first thing you look at John twenty one twelve. It'll inspire you. Yes, and read the book of Jonah. Yes, <laughs> read the book yes. of Jonah. Yeah, is that the? I don't even know. What's Gabby's favorite scripture verse? Oh, Second oh, Kings. Yeah. Uh, when, it was Judith. I don't remember. No, it was. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what book it was, but I know it was Alicia. Um, when a bunch of the little rascals came over to Alicia and called them a baldy. I think it's no, a- it was her. There was somebody like cutting somebody's head off. It was her. Oh, yeah. oh it yeah. was the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it wasn't the she-bear verse you were talking about. <laughs> she-bears. she-bears. That one's good, too. Yeah. We just have oh. very – I should make that a question. What's your favorite scripture verse? Because some people have very inspirational ones and some people have people's she-bears. Yes, yes. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yep. I don't think I have anything to top that. So, yes, <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> well, it has been so great. Thank you guys so much. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the To the Heights podcast. And a huge thank you to Adriana, Patrick, and George for coming over to Catholic TV during finals week, no less to chat about living the faith in college and the inner workings of a college Catholic newspaper. I'm so grateful for you guys and the friendship of The Torch, and I look forward to the next few years. You can find all of The Torch's articles on thetorchbc.com or on any of our social media at BC Torch, or pick up a copy of the paper in print on campus. We had a lot of fun recording this episode, so I hope you enjoyed listening in, and I hope you have some takeaways of inspiration and joy in journeying toward the Lord and reaching to the heights. Be sure to tune in next week for a guest who I'm very excited to share with you, but until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ToTheHeightsCTV, or find me at OliviaRose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week, and keep on reaching to the heights.